Dad Doesn't Like. I'm Lizzie. And I'm B. And this is a podcast where we explore the world of contemporary and modern art together. Um, and it leads to some tense situations, doesn't it, Dad? Yes, it does lead to an interesting degree of um, interaction, shall we put it like that? Though, I mean, one thing that I've always thought is that, and, and I must say I'm shamelessly plagiarising from the movie Tinker Tailor here, that we're not that much different, you and I. We've spent our lives seeking out each other's weaknesses. Yes, I mean, so that quote is taken from Who Is It Between? It's Smiley talking about an interaction that he had with his Soviet counterpart when they happened to meet um, in an airport. Who's the Soviet uh, here and who's the British spy? Well, I don't know, but in the end, did it really make any difference? Um, I mean... By the time that the Cold War was over, half the um, uh, British Secret Service is working for the Soviets and half the Soviets for the British. <laughs> what a nice dynamic we have. Um, well, we're yes. going to challenge the dynamic even more because today we're celebrating International Women's Day, which was yesterday. Oh, fantastic. That's uh, That's good to know. Do you know what happens on International Women's Day, Dad? Um, well, uh, yeah, women make a point of asserting their rights, uh, well, not just, I mean, that they assert them on other days too, but they, they um, talk about their rights and encourage respect for women's rights. Very well put. So we're celebrating the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women um, and striving for gender parity. I mean, in our family, between you and I, I wouldn't say so much as striving for gender parity as um, competing for, I don't know, what is it, predominance, I guess, in mum's affections overall. But um, yes. we're taking a broader yeah. lens today with International Women's Day, and we're going to be discussing Carolee Schneeman and her work from 1964, Meet Joy. Yes. Um, well, when you sent me the link to this, um, I certainly found it very puzzling, and I'm sure we'll explore the nature of that and my puzzlement during the course of this. Good. I mean, I did think that, you know, because it is meat-based again, that it would be a nice continuation from last week's discussions of all these carcasses and bugs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think this is going to even the outermost fringes of of art, if indeed it is art, than last week's works. Okay, well, I'll give you some background on uh, Carolee Schneeman. So she was born in 1939 and she passed away in 2019. And she also, it seems, had some tension with her father because she said in one interview that her father thought it was inappropriate for a woman to go to college or study art. Oh, I, I would never have dared to say that. <laughs> I mean, all, all I asked was that you... You know, if you come back from from university, that you not have assailed the patriarchy, and but I think I was um I was disappointed in that. <laughs> um. Yes. Well, she she was in the end. I mean, she was suspended from Bard College. Do you know why? Wow. No. Well, she was suspended for painting nude self portraits, although. Ironically, I mean, she'd been allowed to pose nude for her male peers. I mean, that's, that sounds to be an extraordinary level of double standards. I mean, if she was born in 1939, so this must have been 
watch the late 50s or early 60s, I would have thought that an art school would have been more broad-minded than that. Um, yeah, well, by the swinging 60s, you grew up in the swinging 60s, didn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, I was still a child in the swinging 60s and, you know, I was still living in an oppressive environment myself. So, <laughs> so you don't think your parents were engaging in the wild, free decade of the 60s? In Definitely not. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> well, so she she then, though, after she was suspended, um, she did go on to make a career in art. She became a performance artist and filmmaker. So a lot of her work was, you know, ephemeral because it would occur. And the, I mean, it wasn't a tangible thing, but she did document a lot of her performance and film work. So, I mean, she was kind of building her own archive as she went. Um, but she was actually also a painter. So she painted in the abstract expressionist style. Um, but she did find that it was too masculine and that a paintbrush was too phallic of a tool. Well, um, I suppose, you know, if you're taking feminism to those extremes, well, you have to find something else to paint with. Maybe, you know, I don't know, fingers or sponge or something. Well, you'll see how, I mean, so I guess, you know, to extend from that, painting and I guess the use of paints did play a role in a lot of her work, even though it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, sort of traditional painting in the way that we would think about applying it to a canvas. Um, abstract expressionism generally, I mean, it is very associated with masculinity. I mean, you look at, say, Jackson Pollock, who was, you know, he really built this persona of the macho painter um, and, you know, I guess the physicality of his work you know, flinging the paint across the canvas and this action painting, it was all tied up in this gender politics as well. Okay, I mean, I, I, I must say that, and and here I, I'm going, I suppose I'm committing some sort of iconoclasm um, that, you know, when I look at blue poles, I find, I, I fail to find any ideology or any idea behind it at all. Maybe we can have a special issue on, on um, blue poles because I could, discourse on it for a long time okay well we'll have to note that down because um yeah i'm sure there is a lot that we can say maybe you're just too much of a feminist to like it yeah maybe that's you know there's a secret that we're um that we're uh, discovering tonight <laughs> <laughs> um well she came to the prominence in the 60s and 70s and uh so her friend another artist judith berenstein said quote we were both much younger and hot. So, I mean, I think she wrote this, said this when, um, after Schneeman had passed away, we hung out together at bars to get connected, to meet guys and have affairs. It was much more uptight in the fifties and sixties, but in the seventies, all holds broke loose. It happened almost overnight because of the pill. Women wanted sexual gratification and got it. It was a liberating time to work. Um, and the work dealt with that. Okay. So she's a real child of the, uh, of the revolution of the 60s and 70s then. Yeah, I mean, do you want to, you know a lot about May Soissons tweet, don't you? Oh, yeah, well, of course. In fact, 1968 was uh, was a, a year of turmoil throughout uh, many countries in, in the Western world, at least. It was, um, there was, uh, there were anti-war riots in the United States. There was a huge um, pitched battle 
outside the um, Democratic Party convention in, in Chicago in 1968, um, which Hunter S. Thompson wrote a brilliant piece about. Um, and of course, in, in Paris, yes, in May 68, um, massive student riots, digging up cobblestones, throwing them at the police. And it was de Gaulle's failure to control that adequately that really led to a lot of pressure uh, on him that led him to resign just a few months after that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a tempestuous era. Yeah, and so not just for feminism and the rise of feminism, but, you know, these other ideologies. So, well, something that you might like about her in particular is that she was a cat lover. Oh, fantastic. One time when she went away to do a performance, she brought her 17-year-old cat with her, but she also brought along with her some fresh chicken for its special diet. And another artist friend of hers said that, you know, when Schneeman went away, sometimes they would look after her cats, but that they would paint using the cat's tails. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, so I mean, that's, I guess, an alternative to the phallic paintbrush. Yeah. Someone else, and, and this is a very unexpected crossover that I'm sure you'd never um, expect. Do you know who else was a great cat lover? I don't know. I'm scared to find out. Famous historical figure. I'm sure there would have been a gulf in many ways between him and and Carolee Schneemann, but it was Cardinal Richelieu. Oh. Um, who, yeah, was, of course, um, virtually the power behind the throne in... in um, mid-17th century France, and um, I, I read somewhere that he had 14 cats, and they would, you know, walk around all over his desk when he was writing parchments, and, you know, he'd get in the ink and all that, so, yeah. Oh, so an unexpected connection. I somewhat doubt that he was a proto-feminist, though. No, I don't think so. <laughs> One more final point on the cats. Wendy Olstoff, who was a gallerist, Schneeman um, said that you know she would take Schneeman out for these lavish meals as part of their relationship as gallerist and artist but then Schneeman would wrap up the leftovers and take it home for her cats oh that's very kind yeah how lovely like when you order extra KFC for the cats yes uh, it's always interesting seeing their noses start to twitch when, <laughs> when we open the KFC box <sighs> Um, but to move on to the artwork, so Meet Joy, as, as I said, was uh, first performed in 1964 in Paris at the Festival of Free Expression, and then was filmed. And it embodies Schneemann's idea of kinetic theatre, you know, this idea of a, a performance through movement. But would you like to explain what you see when you watch Meet Joy? Yeah, well, it's it's very, very strange because it's a... Uh... It exists in movie form now. It's a recording of a performance in 1964. And what it shows is a group of men and women dressed in, for want of a better word, furry swimming costumes, um, rolling around on the floor, first, you know, carrying each other and throwing each other around. And, but then it gets progressively more strange because um, an assistant comes in with fish um, chickens, other pieces of meat, which the people begin rubbing all over their bodies, rolling around on and with. And then it progresses to paint with sh shreds of paper. So everyone's completely, you know, messy by the end of it. And for the life of me, um, I don't understand why this is art. 
Oh, so well, how does it make you feel when you see it? Um, that's a psychologist psychologist question. Well, um, sort of revolted, I guess. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's very they're sort of slipping around, and it has a sense of excess. I mean, especially when the paint is introduced, because everything then gets sort of slimed together, and of course, you know, they're these sort of abject materials like raw chicken and fish that. I mean, when you think about things like raw chicken and raw fish, unless you're a cat, I mean, you wouldn't even, <laughs> unless, even when you're cooking with them, you don't want to touch them until no. they're cooked, really. So, I mean, yeah. even in their, I guess, ordinary setting, they are not desirable objects. But then you have these naked people, uh, you know, riding around in it, and it has this sense of, I guess, the ecstatic because they're also enthusiastic so I mean it kind of recalls these Dionysian feasts or celebrations or I guess our morphed and distorted ideas of I guess what those celebrations were like in the ancient world. Yes I mean the, the rites of Dionysus were notorious for their um, complete wantonness and abandon. Mm. And um but I mean, sometimes this, when you watch the video of Meet Joy, it is also sort of comic because, you know, they are slipping around. When you are presented with it, it's very hard to know what to make of it. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I suppose, you know, this this brings up again the acute question and I must say that I sometimes um, relish the thought, um, I probably shouldn't go that far because it might lead people to accuse me of schadenfreude, <laughs> of you at some stage in your career being called as an expert witness in some case involving art. Um, and I mean, we know you're a qualified lawyer and you're studying for your MA in, in art at, at Leiden University. So you would be on the face of it at least qualified as a witness and the counsel who was questioning you would say um, Ms Harris what did you major in apart from law at the ANU and you'd say art history and then they'd say what other qualifications did you get after that and you'd say an MA in art history from the University of Leiden would you count yourself as a expert witness yes I would well may I begin with this question what is art and there'd be this deafening silence in the courtroom wouldn't there so to bring it back to this, I mean, this is in all seriousness now. Um, isn't, I mean, the arts in the broad sense include movies, theatre, dance, um, paintings, all those things. But if one's speaking about art in the strictest sense, aren't we talking about things that have a corporeal existence? And this doesn't because it's a it's a performance. So it's not something. I mean, the movie. Yes, we've we've seen a movie of it, but the movie wasn't what Carolee Schneemann was producing. She was engaging in the event or causing the event to happen. So um, I don't understand why this is art and not theatre. To start with, I think that if I presented this to you as a piece of theatre, you would say, "What would you say?" 
Well, I'd, I'd still say, why are these people doing this? <laughs> but I would have thought that your reaction then would be, well, it's not theatre, it's not a play, there's no plot, there's no, you know, where are the three acts? Yeah, okay. This kind of thing would be your response, right? So then surely you accept that in general there are pieces of creative production which are hard to define in a particular yeah. category. So if you accept that, I'm, as I'm sure you wouldn't, you wouldn't on the face of it accept this as a piece of theatre, but you find it difficult to classify as a piece of art because it doesn't have some physical embodiment. I mean, yeah. first of all, there's the idea that this is, you know, a, something that sits between or among the categories of theatre, film and the visual arts, but also this uh, more general idea of ephemeral art, which was very popular in the 60s and 70s. I mean, obviously still continues today, but we've talked before, for example, about happenings on this podcast. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I know we've talked about the happenings that occurred at the German School of Modern Art in Dusseldorf, I, I remember. Yeah, and also, you know, people like, um, I mean, Yoko Ono was big in the happenings. Oh, yes. They would suddenly have spontaneous happenings. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a time where artists were pushing the definition of what art was, which is obviously what you're picking up on here. I mean, it is performative art, but the ephemerality of it also plays a role. I mean, obviously it has, as you say, been documented in film, which allows us to continue to talk about in a way that we wouldn't be able to if it was purely ephemeral and hadn't been recorded. I mean, there were many performances which weren't, but recording it, I guess, is a way of allowing the conversation to continue and also change across generations. Because of course, if you don't record it, we would still have people's thoughts on how it was presented then, but it would be pretty impossible for us to come up with any kind of new interpretation or examine how our interpretations of the piece change over time. Because we would only be able to comment in a very abstract way about, you know, so someone wrote something about it in 1964, and you might have a sense of whether you agree with the theory that sits behind their critique, but you can't come up with your own critique of the piece then. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I mean, so it was a performance, and to that extent, it's it's art, but how is this, what is the message here um, of these people rolling around and getting dirtier and dirtier? So, you're asking the classic question, what does it mean? Yes. <laughs> well, so she said it was a celebration of flesh as material, and, I mean, here we do start to turn away from this, well, it is still an ephemeral piece of art, but it was also one that had a very heavy material presence. So the concept behind it and this idea of kinetic theatre was that the participants were allowed to improvise with the materials, but she, Schneeman did give them so-called scores, you know, like musical scores of what would happen, you know, in general but also allow them a degree of agency. So it was very much in this idea of a tradition of the idea of the happening where there was an idea of what was going to happen, but then you allowed it to play out. And I mean, that was a term 
that was invented or coined by Alan Capra in 1959. And, you know, it describes the sort of impermanent but also spontaneous events and performances. They're sort of theatrical. They use environments or installations, but, you know, they also rely quite heavily on the spectator, um, you know, sometimes through direct participation, but also just the fact of being watched so basically, as you say, Schneeman provided them with these raw materials, which are very, you know, being, you know, dead fish and chicken and whatnot, very visceral and give the whole thing a sense of immediacy. I mean, you sort of see that when you even just watch the video, seeing these bits of meat, I mean, gives it a very immediate sense to watching it. But you can imagine how much stronger that sense would have been if you viewed it in person and you could have smelled it um, yeah. and seen things in more detail. So if you're presented with that, I mean, especially transport yourself back to 1964, maybe not when you were four years old, but <laughs> <laughs> at your age now. I mean, and putting yourself in the position of, you know, say, you know, someone your age at that time, I mean, what kind of taboos would you think that, that would challenge if you viewed that? Well, there's there's a whole lot. I mean, the people are clothed, but they're um, sort of in, I don't know if it's underwear or swimming costumes. So that's that's one thing that's very unusual there, um, in very close physical proximity, rubbing against each other, throwing each other around. It's very dirty with all the meat and presumably the blood from the fish and the chicken, unhygienic. Um, and I mean, the overarching question is, well, why are we watching this? What is the purpose behind this? Is is it to revolt us? It succeeds then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in one way, I mean, so it is all about challenging taboos. So, I mean, as you know, there are many that are there, but I guess the most prominent are these ideas of, public sensuality and I mean one a lot of people say female sexuality in particular but of course there are men and, and women in this piece but it's this idea of by combining I guess that idea of sensuality because you know it's not just that they're touching each other but they're touching these objects and playing with mm. things I mean even moving away from the sexual just to the sensual as in the idea of the five senses mm. you can see how it's an immersive experience um and stripping away i guess the normal barriers that we put up around ourselves even just at the very base level of what we want to touch and be near mm. but by combining that idea of the sensuality with these things that are abject that we wouldn't normally want to be around it is illustrative of the general idea of the taboo you know something that is a draw but that you're not allowed to have or engage with so questioning all of those general standards through which society operates some of which I mean there are some taboos which are universal and obviously have a good reason for being in place but then there are taboos like the social taboo around appearing in public in underwear in the 60s mm. in particular which don't have many people would say, I would say, a moral basis or some kind of philosophical basis that means they are inherently wrong. 
But I mean, the thing about this work is that it's it's not sort of um, exploring a taboo that people would be tempted to engage in, you know, because well, what people are doing is is very unpleasant. So, I mean, I'm just questioning whether or not the message is lost here in the in the repulsion one gets from the fish and the chickens in particular um, and the general dirtiness all in all and how this ties in with with um, with feminism. Well, I mean, it's you distill it, one distills it down to the ideas behind it. I mean, it's a very bold work, I'm sure you'd agree. But, you know, in terms of this idea of liberation, you know, you, you extend it, I guess, to the abstract ideas behind it, this liberation from control or fear, which I think is embodied by the work, and this idea of making the personal political I mean I guess that's getting to the crux of this idea you're saying that you know where is I guess the feminism in this I mean you need to extend the personal experiences of these performance of these performers into the more the wider political context of okay time I I mean maybe I should digress here or interject here and say uh... I'm not entirely immune to sympathy for female liberation. I mean, I remember once, and I thought that you would really be pleased when I made this phone call to you. I was sitting in a departure lounge prior to traveling, and I phoned you up and said, guess what? I saw a lady pilot walking to the plane. But you you didn't seem to really appreciate that. Well, maybe, you know, I think this is a problem with Schneeman. She thought, oh, I'm going to really shock people by having, you know, people playing in dead fish and chickens. But all she had to do was present a lady pilot. And for some people, yes. that's shocking enough. And I must say, perhaps it was the coda that I added to that. And I said, well, maybe she isn't the pilot. She's just there to help the pilot. <laughs> you know, it's like that scene in... um. 30 Rock and Alec Baldwin's character is talking to someone I can't remember who but to a woman and he says you know you can be anything you want you could be a CEO's secretary or a doctor's <laughs> nurse <Yes. You> know, <laughs> to broaden that idea I mean it's playing with people's expectations about what should or shouldn't happen in society I mean maybe another a lens which is also helpful to look at this work through is through other works of Schneemann's, which played with the idea of taboos. So, for example, she did a work um, between 1962 and 1967 called Viet Flakes, and it was a compilation of images of atrocities in Vietnam. Um, And, I mean, it's very difficult to watch, obviously. So she took them all from the news media, And she said about this work, um, we were being moved, we were being affected by images, bringing information that was startling and taboo and terrible and made you convinced that you had to do something to enter the image itself. Activation as an intervention into the politics behind the revelatory images. So, I mean, these were images which were openly available in the news and magazines, but by putting them together in a compilation in an artwork, she challenges us to have 
a moral response because I mean I think even you know now when one sees things on the news there is a kind of distance from it mm. this is also I guess a essential point about Shanim and it's taking these visual experiences and asking us to question what we should and shouldn't watch for one but also what we should and shouldn't react to and what should and shouldn't be recorded so it's a question about subjects and those that capture the image but i mean i i okay let's accept that i don't know though how if you've in uh inspired in people that questioning as to what they should or shouldn't be shocked by or revolted by how that's a very very broad point was was this seen as specifically a, a call to confront attitudes to feminism and to women's rights well it was i would say that it's working within the framework of feminism i mean I think an important thing to remember is that, of course, it's a very particular moment in feminism in the 1960s that we're talking about. I mean, this kind of need for the powerful visual shock to, I guess, wake people up to the very idea of feminism. Yes, I mean, I, I think, I guess the point I'm I'm driving at here is how does this depiction focus our attention on women's rights rather than the broad, far broader, with many, many issues, questions of things that should be confronted in society? Well, for one thing, I mean, the broad context can always be narrowed by the viewer, but it's also the dynamic between the male and female performers in this piece. I mean, this is also something which was questioned by feminists at the time in viewing this piece because at the beginning of the piece the men pick up or have picked up the women and are carrying them around and then put them on the floor and during the piece the performers throw each other around but it is far more the men than the women you know not in a violent way but in a performative sort of I guess in the manner of dance but then there's this sort of combination of the actions that they make together in among all of the fish and chicken and whatnot. So, so the reason why that caused the piece to be rejected by some feminists at the time was that they criticised Shaneeman for saying that this work was narcissistic, for one, because all of her included, she performed in the piece, the women that were shown in particular really um, mirrored, I guess, the conventions of beauty at the time. They were white, they were young, they were slim. And that was seen as catering to the masculine gaze. And it also had this idea of, uh, you know, men moving women around. Women were still the objects of men to a degree in that piece. And so that's why it was rejected by some feminists. But to move, to extend that idea of how the men were picking up the women and moving them around. You can see then that rather than playing into these conventions, Schneemann was actually showing how asking, do social dynamics change when taboos and restrictions are lifted? So, I mean, these people have been placed in, you know, as symbolized by the meat and the fish, 
they've been placed in a situation where taboos or restrictions are lifted. But did that cause taboo, I mean, social conventions to change? Because the men continue to pick up the women and move them sure. around. So it encourages this idea of, like, I'm sure you'll love this word, counterculture thinking. Oh, God, that's powerful. <laughs> I mean, so it's sort of an idea of, you know, do does removing a boundary here around the relationships between the gender relations between men and women in the 60s at this time, does removing those boundaries amplify existing power politics or eliminate and remediate them? So her argument would have been, well, sort of, it's a, what's the word, um, counterintuitive argument. Well, if I'm depicting the men moving the women around, why are you calling that? Why are you saying those women aren't independent? That's your problem. Is is that what she's saying? I don't think one could say that, Um but I think more what she's saying is we really need to examine what of our behaviour is driven by the boundaries that are put in place or the expectations that are put in place and what is something deeper that comes from within us. And I don't mean human nature, but I mean our own opinions. So, for example, those who might say transporting ourselves to 1964 those who might say um, to take the masculine perspective and you can comment on this, I guess, that, you know, the social expectation was that women were under the control of men. So, I mean, if you just look at it, the average domestic household in 1960s, that then when you remove the expectations of that scene and put people into a completely foreign environment. But then the men continue to pick up the women and move them around and use them as objects. Does that mean that those individual men need to examine their attitudes about women rather than saying, well, that's just how society works? Okay. All right. So, I mean, she's relying on the audience to do a lot of thinking and, and teasing out to get to that point. But I think that's why the image that you're presented with has to be so shocking. Okay. Because, I mean, if you saw the same scene with people fully clothed and not surrounded by dead fish, would we be talking about it now? I don't think we would. No, I think you're right. It's also a factor that there was so much, as we were saying earlier, going on in the 60s in terms of social upheaval that to get people's attention, you had to do something shocking. Because if you think of, I mean, well, you don't need to imagine you were alive in the 60s and 70s, um, that if you're being bombarded with shocking imagery of, say, for example, the Vietnam War on the television, then for something else to get your attention, it will also have to, to be shocking. Yeah, it has to have that at least an equal level of impact. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, and I mean, it has gotten your attention, so. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> um, and I mean, you also can boil it down to, I guess, 
the individual experience of Schneemann as the person who had orchestrated this performance, but she also takes part in it. She was, I guess, asking whether you could be both an image and an image maker, and in that okay. way transcend the idea of the masculine gaze as a woman artist at this time. Sure. Okay. So nervous. Heavy <laughs> thinking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I mean, even her friends criticized her or questioned her about her way of making art. I mean, one wrote her a letter asking her why she showed her naked body in her work, which, you know, she did in various other works. I mean, she's not completely naked in this piece, but in others she was. And she responded in a letter, in capital letters, saying, I do not show my naked body. I am being my body. So again, it's reclaiming this history of objectification of the female body but also okay. bodies in general yes right yeah <laughs> but i mean even um in conservative south africa nudism was a big movement i wouldn't call it a big movement i mean you, you you've got to understand just how puritanical that that society was with such such a high level of of censorship of magazines movies music even um but yeah there was one fellow whose name i don't know whether this was a uh a, his real name his birth name or whether a name he adopted named Bo brummel who had this nudist colony and periodically you know he'd make these statements and um you know the television would quite surprisingly pay attention to it but you know it was all pixelated or from an incredible distance um so yeah there was Bo Brummel the nudist in South Africa yeah so for those who don't know I mean Bo Brummel the different Bo Brummel was this 19th century socialite and dandy you know very in, very famous for his clothes and his yes. way of dressing and I think he was um you know like in the social circle of the regent. Yes, the Prince Regent, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, who was known also for his excessive manner of living. Yes, that's right. Um, so after all that, <laughs> do you like this work? No, I mean, not, I'm not understanding the incredible amount of intellectual energy you've expended this evening. I, I must say, I still don't like it. It's just too horrible to to watch. Um, do you but, sympathize you know, with Schneemann's cause? Yes, I do sympathize with her with her uh, intent to um, raise consciousness. I can say that. Okay, that's very good real feminist here just not when it involves dead fish no that's right <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any advice for our listeners coming out of this yes yeah let's well, ask a, a middle-aged white man for some advice on international women's day yeah well no i mean no i'm i'm uh, taking a, a contrary position because what i'm objecting to um will become evident and my advice is to retain a good intellectual property lawyer mm. and one who accepts, as I do, the potential possibility of time travel. Now, I know you've derided my belief in aliens, and I suppose you're also going to deride my, at least, 
And I think even physicists will accept that there is perhaps a possibility of time travel. And why do I say that you need a good intellectual property lawyer? Well, it's in case your image is um, uh, used without your consent. Because in that famous film, uh, Olympia, which Lena Riefenstahl produced, there are repeated images of my body being used of the athletes in, in, the, in the initial shots. And, you know, I feel I'm being subjected to the female gaze when women watch this. And also, I wasn't, um, didn't give my consent for that. So that's my advice. Get a lawyer who understands the mechanics of time travel and can enforce your rights. Is your argument that, from the time travel perspective, we'll get on to the female gaze in a minute, from the time travel perspective that, you need the lawyer to go back to carry out this suit for using your image or that you travel back in time to appear in this film or that you're saying you're about 50 years older than you actually are and that you appeared in this film in the 1930s then had a very slow decline in your look (laughs) then and now. Well, I'm not going to get into, because I think it's beyond the ambit of an art historical podcast, the physics of time travel. All I'm saying is is that my image appears at the beginning of Olympia. I mean, And I feel exploited. For those who haven't seen Olympia, of course, you know, these athletes are very fit, and I'm not sure that Dad quite (laughs) fits the mould. That, but I, yes, I'm very sorry that you feel objectified in that way. Um, okay. Anyway, there's there's my advice. It's probably a very niche practice area of the law. <laughs> well, maybe that's one that um you could. You seem enthusiastic to either be a time traveling in- intellectual property lawyer or to take part in a suit where you would get to question me about what is art so maybe well, yeah, that's that's a different no I'm, I'm talking about yeah I mean that's two completely different legal scenarios but yeah, yeah. but I, I'm saying that you could have a nice firm where you deal with those two very oh, yes problems um yes because you seem very enthusiastic but next week we're going to be talking about an artist called Stellark from Australia okay look forward to it good well thank you everyone for joining us and happy international women's day now you yes, have indeed. to say it to me too dad it's my day happy, happy international women's day lizzie thank you it <laughs> <laughs> sounded a little bit begrudging but um <laughs> we hope uh, you will all be able to join us next week for our next conversation thank you bye bye bye